Welcome to 25 Stocks of Christmas presented by Chit Chat Money. Today we have an interview with Aaron Edelheit, uh, the CEO of Mindset Capital, and we talked about a company that I'm not even going to try to pronounce, uh, but it's our acronym is FDJ. That's, that's its ticker. Yes, that's its ticker. And it's uh, basically a French lottery monopoly. It's a really interesting business, and Aaron right. goes into much more depth about it. But before we get to that, we have to talk about our partners, Seven Investing. You Correct. Go? Is it my turn? Your I can turn? go. I can go. It's easy. Go for it. $10 off your first month with the code of CCM at checkout. Go to like seveninvesting.com. If you Google it, you'll find it. You can also find them on Twitter. Uh, be at $10 off. You get seven stock picks. They just did their December picks. You get right. some each month. Uh, so it's $7 for seven picks. Try it out. You can help us out as well. Yeah. Great team over there. We've said it many times, but we love them, and we think it's a great value. I haven't even looked at the picks for this month, so that's that's going to be good. I've got mm-hmm. something to do today. Perfect. All right, here you go. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Today, we are welcomed by Aaron Edelheit. He is the CEO of Mindset Capital and the author of The Hard Break, The Case for a 24-6 Lifestyle. I found Aaron on Twitter, and he has a Substack. I'll let you sort of speak to that. Um, But he has some really interesting stuff on there. Uh, This is your first time on the show. How did you get into the world of investing? You know, for some reason, I've always been interested in it. And I remember my dad, when I was like nine years old, he, this will date me, but he had the Wall Street Journal open and there was a bunch of stock tables in it. And I remember asking him what they were and he tried to explain it to me and I became instantly uh, fascinated by it. And from a young age, kind of knew what I wanted to do, which was investing. And so that was kind of my beginning into the world of uh of how i got and i just kind of self-taught had an opportunity to invest a friend's money who sold a company early on after college um and started above my parents garage started and then grew that to a small fund and then after that uh fund i ran that for about 12 years i started buying foreclosed homes fixing them up and renting them out um and started with 16 homes and built that to 2500 uh, single family rentals and sold that company in 2015. And I did a bunch of helped a friend startup. Um, and uh, in, in earlier this year, I went back to my roots and launched a, uh, a new friends and family fund called the Mind- Mindset Value Fund and have been back to my first true love, which is uh, investing in companies no one's ever heard of or misunderstood opportunities. Yeah, that's what we're uh, talking about today. I don't think I mean, I hate to put words in the listener's mouth, but I don't think any listener has probably heard of this company before we're talking about them. But do you want to say what the company is and uh, how you found it? Yeah, so the company is called Le Francais de Joux, and it's the French National Lottery and Sports Gambling Monopoly. And so uh, in a remarkable thing, uh, outside of France, many people weren't paying attention. But at the end of last year, uh, France privatized their national lottery and sports gambling monopoly. Um, and uh, they still own a 20% stake. 
And so it went public and uh, now it's uh, freely trading. And, you know, I invested in it, you know, kind of soon after, um, you know, it, you know, it went public because I was, I was really uh, fascinated by it. Um, but what makes it so attractive now is that watching the, the company's uh, performance through COVID, uh, the company's actually gotten much stronger, much more profitable than we can talk about. And it, it just shown its resilience to such a level that I think it's actually an incredible risk reward um, because you're actually investing in a lottery in a monopoly with no, uh, you know, with no competition. And what's remarkable is for a company this size, it's, you know, almost 7 billion euro market cap. Uh, that that no one, you know, no one knows it exists. And do you want to go into a little more depth on uh, sort of the structure of the business, the whole business model, what FDJ does? Yeah, yeah. So, so the the main thing is there's only one lottery in France, and uh, FDJ uh, operates it under a government mandate out to 2044. Um, but it'll probably, it'll probably be much, much longer than that. Um, and so uh, it, it primarily, you know, one of the interesting investment cases, the reason to invest in it now is before COVID, almost all the lottery was paper, scratch off, you go into a store, you buy a lottery ticket. And FDJ had a very low online participation rate. And most other countries that have national lotteries have much higher online participation, um, whether it's Scandinavia, the UK, or Australia, they have something like 15 to 30% of their lottery happens, you know, online, and FDJ only had 5%. And so obviously, what was fascinating is COVID hit, you know, 90%, you know, 80% of your business is done in retail uh, businesses, because they also have the sports gambling business. Um, which again, sports shut down as well. So it, you can't really have sports gambling. If there's no sports, right? Right. So it was a remarkable, as you imagine, well, France like completely shut down in, uh, in March. Um, and so you, no one was leaving the house. And so it was remarkable in Q2 to kind of really in April, they shut down. But um, in uh, Q2, FDJ broke even. So imagine there's no sports, you can't go to stores, like, you know, you have a good business when everything shuts down and you're like, oh, we're just not making money now. Uh, and then in July, like kind of a one month after reopening, everything went back to normal. Like, because people like playing the lottery, people like gambling on sports. And so um, it just showed, but the other thing that, it hap that, that happened is all of a sudden it was like a forcing mechanism and all of a sudden, online participation went from 5 to 9% without anything that FDJ was doing. Uh, and why that's important is the online lottery has double the margins. Obviously, if you don't have paper, if you don't have, you know, all these things, if you're not sharing with the retailers a percentage of the, re of the sales, uh, their, their margins are double. So you have an opportunity now where... Um, FDJ's margins are much higher. And they also took out about 80 million euros of costs. And you remember, this is still France, so it's hard to kind of take costs out of the system. Well, they use COVID as, any, as a kind of an accelerant. Um, and so 
And now what they're doing is focusing a lot more on online and they're moving forward in that way. But, you know, the core of the business is still just, you know, a lottery and gambling on sports. And so what they haven't been good at traditionally, especially when they were a government entity, is really leaning into online, really focusing on the technology. And now that they're a privatized company, they can do that. And they've had an accelerant. So it's kind of these one of these really interesting things where you're an investor and then something really, really terrible out of the blue, like a pandemic happens. And you're like, oh my gosh, I wonder what's going to happen. Well, now we can look back and we can say the worst thing happened that you could imagine. No sports, total shutdown of retail, and, and this business didn't lose money. And, and instead, they were able to cut costs, become more profitable, and accelerate forward where they were going. So it's a very fascinating. And I, that, that's why I happen to think that it's like this incredible bargain because there's not many businesses that are this resilient and the company has no debt. It, it, they convert almost 90% of their uh, operating income into free cash flow. Wow. And so it has no leverage and they, it probably should. And so the fact that it trades at a 5% free cash flow yield for an actual monopoly, they have no competitors. It's just remarkable to me at the same time, two things of why that 5%, it may not sound like a crazy high number, but consider this, they have no competition. We've seen what happens when the worst case can happen. They are completely unlevered. And the French government debt trades at negative interest rates. What is a lottery? A lottery is a tax. That's an arm. So basically one arm of the government offers you a growing 5% free cash flow yield with huge growth potential, by the way, with sports gambling, which is very underpenetrated in France. And the other one is negative interest rates. And then the, the last thing that I would say is that FDJ can borrow at 1%. So you can make a lot of accretive acquisitions. You can buy back a whole lot of stock right. if that's the case. Okay. And wow. So you said that, you know, the margins double when you go from in-person to online, what do they have any projections or goals of what percentage of revenue is going to come from online? Do they want to get so, to the majority over time or? So they're being very sensitive to that. Um, yeah. And they haven't given any guidance. I'm hoping in the new year when they kind of kick off the new year and they give some projections, but they're sensitive to making, I believe, very public conversations because they don't want to, Remember, mo most of their business is retail. They don't, you wouldn't want to upset your retail partners, right? Because then they, they may not want to sell or they'd be like, wait, wait, what's going on? Why would I help this? So there may be, they may be working on a strategy where they um, include some of the retailers in. Uh, they give incentives for them to push some of their customers online. And so maybe it's not double the margins, but it's like 50% of the margins and they share uh, something with the retailers. So it's not like they're overly broadcasting what they're what they're going to do, but I'm expecting in next year for them to share a, you know a lot more about where they're going online. And then I expect a lot of people to be kind of raising their numbers. And in the long term, it makes no sense why other countries around the world would have 15 to 30 percent you know participation and FDJ would only have nine 
or 10%. Right. Okay. It sounds, yeah. it sounds like they've had sort of a whirlwind of accidental catalysts. Um, and th- that uh, it's blended into a pretty interesting setup uh, on the sports gambling side. What sports are people betting on? Is it just French sports or is it European? Um, who are, is there? That's a really question. Yeah. I, I, I believe it's everything. Okay. Um, and, but that it's, Right now, most of their sports gambling is what is happening inside uh, kind of what I call offline activities. So they actually have a very small, but you you can see a huge opportunity to move to online sports gambling, which is the only place where they compete, by the way. And there's only like three or four competitors because there's – very high regulatory barrier in France and high tax rates. And there's, and uh, French citizens as sports gamblers, much lower percentage of participation in sports gambling. So right now, when you, when FDJ with their opportunity is to, uh, is what they've been doing is kind of in-person kind of sports gambling but there's this huge unknown, and I don't think you're paying any price for it, for how they can aggressively grow that, acquire companies, or grow their online. I don't think you're paying for any of that, but for a company that's gonna be producing hundreds of millions of dollars of free cash flow that's growing every year, it seems like an easy bet that at a minimum they'll grow in France, um, and they may grow in Europe or the rest of the world. You know, again, they're producing all this cash flow and they can borrow at exceptionally low interest rates. They seem like a great partner for a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of companies in this area. And that's why what I love about this is there's kind of these free options inside that I don't think you're paying for Okay, that makes sense. Or sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, what about management? Um, does it matter to this business? It sounds like it's uh, a bit one of those maybe PB and J businesses where uh, whatever I don't know what the Buffett quote is, but anyone can run the business. Am I getting that wrong, or does management matter for this? You know, I think it does matter. Um, uh, I think it does. Look, I I think this is one of the businesses that it's really hard to screw up. And I didn't have, I didn't, because of where it traded, I didn't think I was taking a lot of risk, but I didn't know how management was going to perform. We just really had, this is another reason why COVID's so interesting is we just really had an amazing kind of truly once in a hundred year experience of a true crisis. And look at how management responded. Management responded aggressively. They immediately, what you wouldn't normally think of European or French, you know, companies, especially one that used to be part of the government to move so fast, but they did, they almost immediately went for a a cost cutting plan and cut 80 million euros of costs almost immediately out of the business. Um, And most of that permanent. And then, um, and I, I think the, the fact that they were break even was just, remar- it's just a remarkable thing. And I, I don't, I think a lot of it has to do with how that it's just the lottery and gambling, 
But I think that the management is helping. And I think that that's another one of these free options is that you would think of this as more of like a former government entity that you wouldn't have great management. But from what I can tell, that this management is actually much, much better uh, than I had assumed. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the CEO became the CEO in 2014 and uh, had a lot of senior government experience and senior corporate uh, experience. And I, I think that she's doing a great job. And I think it's important that she has government experience because it's, it's still, it's such an important piece to the French government. Right. I think one of the things I get asked over and over about this is, well, what happens if the French government changes regulations and they allow competition or all this stuff? And so um, it's important that she had government role in the past, that she has government connections. It's an important uh, point to that. And as to that governmental risk, it's, it's important to know that, the, that FDJ is still owned 20 percent by the French government and that it, the French National Lottery was actually founded to help um, disfigured uh, wounded veterans from World War I. And so two wounded veteran associations own another 15% of it. And, and that when you actually run through the numbers of the government take rate on gambling revenue, their 20% stake and the tax rate they make on income tax, the French government takes about 90% of, uh, of the income um, of, the, of, the, of the lottery. So it's just very, very unlikely that in the future for the last 10%, the government's gonna be going, oh, well, let's just you know, change everything and hurt this company and hurt wounded veterans right. um, <laughs> at the same time. But it's still important to have government experience. So, so it's, a, it's a nuanced, answer to your question i think it's a little bit of both okay you got anything else before we get to the next one or no and uh, he already sort of touched on his thesis a little bit but we could let you uh i don't know expand on the thesis or I is there you... anything else that yeah. goes into you know why you'd like to own fgj well i just think that it's it's one of these things where i've migrated as a value investor from it used to be I would, I would get into these very small kind of, when looking back, rather speculative, low quality, small companies that I would say, look, it's undervalued based on this, this, and this, right? And, um, or that you get into some kind of cigar butt type investment, or you'd look and you'd say, well, they have these assets and it's selling for 50 cents on the dollar of those assets. And if only management would do X, Y, and Z, or an activist investor is coming into, and I used to be involved in a lot of those, and where I've migrated is just understanding when you have an exceptional opportunity to invest in an exceptional company. A People talk about Google and Amazon as a monopoly. FDJ is an actual monopoly. Yeah. You cannot compete with them with 95% of their business. And it's still growing. And unlike normally you'd get like a utility 
And, but the utility has to spend all kinds of money on capital expenditures, right? Yeah. You know, you got all this equipment and what, what do you have to do for a lottery? What do you have to do for sports gambling? You're a bookie. Yeah, you just print out some know, stuff or set up a website. Yeah, that's right. So it's like, yeah, you're, like, might, you're going to expand to spend some money on technology and everything. But this is an incredibly profitable business. And so it's, um, it's just truly remarkable, the quality of this business, to invest at a unlevered 5% free cash flow yield with the, the, the lottery growing at like 5% or so in terms of revenue. But the cash flow will probably be growing in mid-teens because the, the, the costs they took out because of the increased online participation. Then you have this total free option on sports gambling. And meanwhile, in the US, DraftKings sells for 24 times uh, revenue yeah. and four, 20, 24 times next year's revenue. 24 times next year's revenue and 40 times someone's estimate of cash flow in 2024. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a little bit and of a like, and, and they're spending hundreds of millions, they're, they're burning hundreds of millions of dollars right now. Yeah, I mean, so it's like, or go ahead, yeah. go ahead. And, and they have crazy competition, right? Yeah. They're competing against Barstool Sports and Penn and there's guy, and, and it's like, I get, this incredible monopoly, these free options, this growth in sports gambling for a company that I now know is really well managed that has an incredible low cost of capital that can really grow. And so what's the downside? That's the best part of it. What's my downside of investing? Got to be very low. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of margin of safety there. Um, yeah. You mentioned that they're growing. How do they grow? Uh, is it just more people engaging in the lottery? I mean, they're, mm -hmm. they're not allowed to market it, are they? Or Well, yeah, they are. Of course okay. they are able. It's the French lottery. They want the French government likes taxes, okay. you know? And so it's going at like, you know, three to 5% a year in terms of revenue. And, you know, they might, you know, raise a you know, little bit of prices, a little bit of volume increase, and, you know, come out with some new games and stuff to stimulate demand. Um, but the real growth is in sports gambling, which is, it's coming off a low base, but this fall, I want to say sports gambling in France is up like 50% year over year. Wow. So, but again, the, the story for the lottery for France is not so much the revenue growth, this is still growing at like three or 5%, but it's really that margin. And it's really that online penetration where they can get people, you know, kind of in their homes um, playing and, and that they can, uh, grow the sports gambling business. Yeah, and so you, so it turns from this kind of boring, slow growth. When you look inside the cash flow and you look at the kind of free options the company has, this could start really growing. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, maybe this is sort of bullish to your point, but it's, uh, I think there's a lot of pent up demand for wanting to engage with sports. And when you can't actually be there, I, I think it might turn into a lot of uh, engagement in the form of sports gambling instead. Uh, but that might just be yeah. a catalyst for them moving forward. That, that, that's right. And it's like, again, it's, it's not something I feel like I'm paying for right now. So if they really get it right, I mean, 
sort of a free call option. This could be fantastic. Yeah. All right. I got nothing else. All right. Yeah. uh, We're going to hit a quick break and then we're going to try to poke some holes in Aaron's thesis. Here you go. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is Red color, red color, where are you? (sighs) All blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome back in. Next up we have Devil's Advocate. Uh, So for our recurring listeners, most people know this is where we provide our counterpoints and we try to poke some holes and let uh, our guests refute them. I should say, I should say on this one, we had a little bit of a trouble doing it. One, because I mean, it was a new business for us. And two, uh, I think that kind of shows that this might have a high margin of safety, but yeah. Sorry. I'll, uh, I'll go first. First counterpoint um, in your sort of thesis paper that you wrote, you mentioned uh, its valuation versus its peers. Uh, and we talked about it on the first half of the show, which was, you know, uh, 24 times next, uh, next 12 month sales for like DraftKings and stuff like that. Do you think it's, do you think it's good to base the FDJ valuation comparison against some of those companies, which are probably growing? No, no, no. It's just to show the disparity. I mean, it's a good point. I mean, like DraftKings is growing. The U.S. is kind of like a wide open uh, space. There are some questions on how big the market actually is versus some of their market, you know, some of the market caps um, in there. But it was just going to, to show just the, the incredible gap, you know, here you have FDJ selling for like three times revenue and, um, and, and has no competition. And, and another one sells for 24 times uh, revenue. It was just, is kind of like a wink, wink, nod, nod, but you know, draft, look, FDJ is not growing as fast, um, but you still have what I believe mid, you know, mid teens kind of cash flow growth. Uh, with some free call options at what I think is a pretty attractive valuation. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, the classic, um, I think, what you know people talk about, like it's betting on horses at the track. Maybe DraftKings is the best horse, but you got terrible odds on that. You can get FDJ, which is a quality horse, at a really reasonable uh, you know odds. I would change it around. I would say that right now, DraftKings is like the hottest horse on the racetrack. Yeah. And FDJ is... You own the racetrack. Oh, no. Nice. All right. All right. That's a better analogy. Then. Good way to put it. Okay. Uh, there's I'll no do... one else. If you want to bet on the racetrack. Right, you right. You can only bet at FDJ. That's okay. The, uh, my counterpoint is the government part. So, you know, people get a little worried about when government's involved in a business. Um, they've owned it for many years. I know that they're uh, strategy in the spring kind of showed that maybe they are a little lighter on their feet than people might think for a, you know, bureaucratic government type deal. Uh, but does that, does that show any risk there from a government policy? Could they buy it back or just kind yeah, of so, do whatever they want, you know? Yeah. So just kind of going back to the points I was making earlier is the government still owns 20% of the company. Uh, wounded veterans associations own another 15%. The other thing I didn't mention is that the French, the French government, this is really interesting actually, is the French government wanted to, wants to privatize uh, com- several government-owned companies in France. 
And they're actually in Brexit negotiations trying to um, trying to convince, trying to set up Paris as like a financial capital. Oh, and okay. the French government, I think this is part of a broader theme that's going on is that governments around the world are starting, are supporting their stock markets like never before in almost a nationalistic kind of way. You look at China, you look at Japan, uh, you look at obviously the United States with all of their measures and France is kind of doing the same thing. And so their first company they privatized, they wanted to be a big winner. And that's why FDJ went public because there's much larger companies and they wanted to show, look, a French company could do well. You look at the stock, stock's up like 40% this year. So it's even in a pandemic has done well. Um, but what's interesting is that this is part of a broader initiative to kind of push. And as part of the IPO, the French government was out trying to get retail participation in, the, in FDJ IPO because they want to build kind of a stock, they want to encourage this kind of, because there's not a lot of retail participation, unlike the US in stocks in France. And so this is part of a much bigger push as a part of the government. Um, and, and then just to the other point is what I mentioned before is that when you look at how much the government owns of FDJ plus the take rate on the gambling plus the tax on the income, tax rate, they already take about 90% of the, uh, of the kind of pool of money, the income coming through. So it's, uh, it just seems very unlikely with these broader trends, with the, with the French government now moving to try to support their financial markets, that this could change. It's always possible. The next French government election will be in April or May of 2022. So you, you, you have a little, at least a little bit of time before that happens. But um, I just think there's a lot of things in play that make it very unlikely that anything's going to change in FDJ. Okay. And then the, just to clear things up on that Brexit point. So you're saying that once Brexit happened, uh, London used to be, you know, it was the biggest. Well, it hasn't hub, officially happened yet. Or it hasn't officially. Yeah. I never know. What the, <laughs> it's going on forever. Yeah. I guess it's been a, just an ultimate never ending story, but uh, so London used to be the financial hub, and I guess still is for much of Europe. But they, since London or England or Great Britain, excuse me, is trying to break away, they want to bring a new one in, and they want that to be Paris, and that's good for well, companies. That's one, well, yeah. So, but I just say is that's how France is trying to position okay. it in their Brexit negotiations. If you look, they're taking like a really hard line. They're like. And they're doing all these other things. Like I, I wrote in my report, like I was it's just surprised when you read it. It's almost like France has capitalist dreams, which is very different than the narrative you currently hear. But they're like, they announced like a 10 or 15 billion euro uh, initiative to bring companies to relocate back to France. They did another, tried to convince, they convinced institutional investors to uh, commit something like 5 billion euros for late stage uh, startups. There, there's a whole broad range of things that they're doing, which is very much signaling like, hey, we want our stock market to be more robust. We want it to be stronger. And FDJ is just a small part of that longer initiative. So I, I think I know what your answer is gonna be, but would you want to see FDJ lever up and then if they did what would you want to see them maybe uh invest in 
Uh, yes, I think we're going to see that next year. Um, and, uh, you know, they have signaled that they could borrow up to a billion euros, which is like 15% of the company. Um, and I think you see a combination of a buyback and acquisitions. Um, and I think that will be viewed very, very positively as a way, you know, when you can borrow at 1%, a lot of things can be accretive. Yeah, like you can make a lot of deals work. Yeah. And I mean, this might be the wrong way to think about it, but with at a free 5% free cash flow yield buying or borrowing at 1% for long-term debt, um, that seems like a pretty good, yeah. you know, safer, safer financial engineering, you know? And I think what, 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 what that does when they do that, uh, which they are, they announce the acquisition, they buy back stock, they do both. They're sending a, a further signal to the market like, hey, we're, we're interested in growing, we're interested in shareholder value. And that's just, again, um, what I love is when you find something, an investment that is kind of a violation of a commonly understood narrative. The commonly understood narrative or consensus thinking about France is it's a socialist country. Why would you ever invest in it? And so in my research in FDJ, I've just been rather surprised over and over of violations of that narrative. And to me, when you can find that, there is lots of opportunity when people eventually change their mind and join you. Right. What would, uh, what would be maybe one of the factors that could cause you to sell? Uh, something that would maybe tell you that your thesis was off? Um, I think uh, some concerns would be if, well, at least that it would be a disappointing investment would be if they never levered for whatever reason. Uh, obviously, political instability in France would be something to pay attention to. Um, I think that, uh, if they weren't able to grow their online, you know, lottery, um, participation, that would be an issue if they didn't make any acquisitions. In other words, it, the downside here is it's just stuck in the mud and it's like this super low growth, boring company that doesn't really do anything. Um, and part of what I love about it is I think that there's very low downside, but kind of uncertain upside. And so the more things that they were to not do would signal that it's more of this, you know, maybe five or 10% a year upside. And then it's just an opportunity cost of what did I miss by investing in this? And you already mentioned, you know, the, the levering up a little bit as something you'd like to see them do, but is there anything else that you'd like to see FDJ do? Say you're CEO for a day, you can make one change. Uh, what would it be? Oh, I'd go on an acquisition spree. Okay. <laughs> I would go buy online sports gambling assets everywhere. Right, right. And especially in France, especially in France, because if you think about it, if I'm the French national lottery and I have all these customers that are already buying lottery tickets, what's my cost of acquisition to convert them to a sports gambling fan? Yeah. Very yeah. Well. It's, I think that demographic does overlap. I think there's huge opportunity there. And then when you look at the demographics, I don't have the data in front of me, but the French participation in, um, in sports gambling is very low compared to the rest of Europe or the world. And so I think that's a huge opportunity. And I think that it's, uh, 
an enormous opportunity for them to expand. Like, what would happen if we woke up one day and FDJ uh, took a stake in a U.S. gambling asset? Yeah. So you're you're kind of saying if you saw maybe too much skew towards risk aversion, it would be a concern for you though, right? Yeah, because then I would, you know, now the positive thing is they've committed to paying 80% of their net income in a dividend. Um, So they will be, you are going to be now because of the pandemic, it's lower this year, but you're looking at like a three or 4% dividend. But I think what it would signal to me is like, oh, this is just going to be a boring investment. It's not the, not the worst thing in the world, but it, I, I think when I look at why I'm investing is I'm like, wow, if they can hit on the one or two of these things, and this isn't just some boring French lottery, this is a company that could go up multiples uh, from where it's at. Okay. I think that's all the questions I have. Yeah, nothing for me. All right, where can uh, any listeners that are interested in your stuff, where can they find you? What are some resources? Yeah, so they can find me on Twitter. My handle is Aaron Value, A-A-R-O-N and then Value. And then they can find my Substack, which I believe is mindsetvalue.substack. I can just check real quick. I should know this by heart. Yeah, mindsetvalue.substack. Okay, and the book is The Heartbreak uh, yes, the case where we didn't even talk about that. It's basically uh, making the business case that you should take a hard break, basically take a Sabbath, turn off your phone, turn off your computer, um, and one day a week that you'll be more successful, more happy, have better relationships. And I give, I tell my story and also share lots of other businesses and successful people who t- take or observe a uh, Sabbath, uh, depending on what your belief, it doesn't matter what your belief, uh, belief is. If you're, you know, just an atheist to, you know, a, you know, a Jewish person, a Christian, it doesn't matter. And like, you know, one great example is Chick-fil-A that's closed every Sunday. And, it, it, you know, and I tell that story of how it's the Sabbath is actually foundational to all of their success. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, they are doing quite well. So that, that is a good example. Yeah. Okay. Thank you guys for listening. We want to remind you that we are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We'll see you guys next time.